Our scripture reading this morning is from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9, 10, and 11. Before we go to the scripture, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer, asking him to illuminate our hearts and for the, for the receipt of this scripture. Father in heaven, we approach your throne this morning asking you to fill our hearts with the knowledge of your will and with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. We pray this in order that we might live a life worthy of you, Father, and may please you in every way and bear fruit in every good work to become what you would have us to become. And we ask this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ, our beloved Savior, and all God's people said, Amen. Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9, 10, and 11. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now as for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. He's a prophet, a great prophet. A prophet? On a donkey?
that shot of Jesus' face, although I'm not sure Jesus had blue eyes, but uh, I love that shot of Jesus' face because he has a very stoic look on his face. If you'll notice in the crowd, people were celebrating, people were smiling, but Jesus was very focused. Jesus knew that this same crowd who was yelling, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to the highest, is the same crowd in just a few days would be yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Yes, I think that actor gets it right. Everyone else is celebrating, but Jesus has a very serious look on his face. He is focused on the task at hand. Jesus knows that this makeshift parade is really a death march for him as he enters the gates of Jerusalem. Jesus knows that he's coming to Jerusalem not to deliver the people from the Roman rule, but ultimately to die on a cross for their sins. I like that picture of Jesus because he was focused, (coughs) focused on what the task was for him to do. What are you focused on today? What about this week? What are you focused on? As we finish our sermon series this morning on the book of Galatians, we will see once again that the gospel of grace changes everything, including our focus. To see what our focus should be in light of the gospel of grace, I invite you to turn in your pew Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, verses 6 through 18. It may be found on page 1239 of your pew Bible. Galatians chapter 6, beginning at, at verse 6, found on page 1239 of your pew Bible. However, before I read God's Word, let's call upon His Spirit again to open our hearts and minds at the reading and preaching of His Holy Word. Please join me as we pray. Holy Spirit, we give you thanks that you inspired Paul to put pen to paper, and today we have your written Word. We pray, O Lord, that by your Spirit you might speak to us, that you might give us eyes to see what you want us to see, ears to hear what you want us to hear. in hearts that would be open and transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the word of, words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 6. Listen to the word of the Lord. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with those who he teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh." But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. 
Here ends the reading of God's Word. As the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of our Lord stands forever. This is the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. When you look at the cross of Christ, when you look at the cross of Christ, what do you see? What do you see? On May 22nd, 2011, an EF5 tornado with winds of over 200 miles per hour hit Joplin, Missouri. Sadly, 158 people were killed that day. Buildings were torn to pieces. Homes were completely flattened. When a rescue worker came to survey the damage, he found this scene. St. Mary's Parish was leveled. The church, the school building, but the old rugged cross still remained. The cross has now become a symbol of hope for the community of Joplin, Missouri. St. Mary's father, Justin Monahan, barely survived the tornado. As he was dragged out of the rubble, he saw the cross. And let's look at that cross again if we can. He saw the cross and said, God is really with us. And he's letting us know he's going to take care of us. It was tremendous. It was a real gift to see that cross. And it became a symbol all over the community. In fact, all over the world of God's faithfulness amidst hard times. When you look at the cross of Christ, what do you see? Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. On September 13th, 2001, two days after 9-11, construction worker Frank Selechia discovered a perfectly formed 20-foot cross of two steel beams amongst the debris of the World Trade Center. Those with access uh, to this site used the cross as a shrine of sorts, leaving messages on it, praying before it. The two beams that created this perfect 20-foot cross were actually melted together by the heat. I have this brief video I want to share with you about how this cross impacted Because on that first day, you'll understand, uh, no sweet sounds were heard anywhere around this place. Weeping, great tears and gnashing of teeth, all those kinds of things you read about in the Bible, they were here on that particular day. And a construction man, crude and, and probably a little overweight, digging through dirt, all of a sudden finds this little tunnel, manages to poke his head into it and sees what we believe was a divine answer to prayers that we had been making throughout the time that we were at Ground Zero. Oh God, show us your place. Show us you're here. Show us how you're going to redeem this pit. And all of a sudden he comes out of this little tunnel screaming, wait till you see what I found. And he pulls in ministers and uh, officials, and there, this cross is fully extended, melted together with the intense heat. The two beams were never initially part of the same structure. Heat literally melted them together. And the piece of metal that's draped over was molten metal that had literally fallen over one of the arms. And when everybody saw this, the first thing we did was cry. <laughs> And the second thing, we, we went into worship. A marvelous moment of worship. Everything stops. Construction vehicles stops. All of the digging out of dirt, we all stopped. We looked at the cross. We fell to our knees. We thanked God. Because at that moment, it seemed as though God was just placing his arms around us and saying, this pit is mine. 
I will redeem this pits, and I will redeem the lives of the people who are in this pits. And the message that I received at that particular day was no matter how large the pit is, how deep or how wide or how long, whatever pit it is or wherever we live, God is there to redeem it. If he did it here at Ground Zero with the World Trade Center, how much more can he do it for the world in our own pits that we carry around from day to day? On September 13, uh, 2001, a uh, construction worker named Frank Seletcher of uh, local 731 laborers uh, was going to World Trade Center 6, part of the uh, recovery operation, hopefully looking for uh, live bodies. We uh, searched the whole building. It took us the better part of the whole evening. We only came up with three bodies and no survivors. While he was there, he did a double take, and he noticed right on the uh, on the ground of World Trade Center 6, there was a, uh, a structure that looked like a, a Christian cross. And I directed the firefighter that was assisting me to take a look into the pit in the middle stood the cross. It brought such overwhelming feelings to me that it dropped me to my knees in tears. And that gave him great comfort and consolation and he was telling people that within 10 days later he showed it to me and I verified this is truly important and this needs to be preserved and for the world to see. But on September 23rd, when I found out about the cross which Frank Celestia founded, I made an immediate phone call to first Deputy Mayor Joseph Loda that we needed to preserve the cross and keep it ground zero. Within a few moments, I got a call personally from then Mayor Rudolph Giuliani. His father, absolutely, we will keep that cross at ground zero as a reminder of God's love for all of us. Well, it brings back very, very strong memories of the days after September 11th. The cross was discovered two days after. Uh, father Jordan uh, was able to focus on it and put it in a very important place, right where all of the recovery efforts were going on. And then he would say Mass there every Sunday, sometimes during the week, have other religious services there. It became like a rallying cry or a focal point for many people. I know there's all these issues about religion and this was beyond religion. This was a significant part of what happened in the days after September 11th that kept a lot of people going. Ladies and gentlemen, this is beyond belief. The World Trade Center buildings are gone. They are ashes. This is how we found it September 13, 2001. This is how we see it. This will be the last day we'll be outside. We've been outside for nearly 10 years. This was the worst attack in the history of the United States. It was uh, intended to break our spirit, and instead of it breaking our spirit, people emerge stronger from it. That uh, cross symbolizes that, and I'm very glad that it's going to be part of the memorial. Now the Ground Zero Cross, which has a 10-year journey, it finally has its, uh, its resting place, its final home here in the museum. Cross means to me healing, comfort, something to look for as an avenue to comfort your sorrow. Uh, help revitalize you. Got to remember, on that day, our faith was crushed. And through that cross, it helps rebuild our faith. Because terrorism took down the towers, but faith rebuilds our hearts. When you look at the cross of Christ, what do you see? But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world.
I'll take just a moment to think about what Paul is writing here. It's kind of unusual that in the first century he would boast in the cross of Christ. Why not boast in the empty tomb? I mean, after all, the good news of Easter is that Jesus has risen, right? I mean, if Jesus had never risen, then we wouldn't be here today. The, the movement of Jesus would have ended with his crucifixion. And yet Paul boasts not in the empty tomb. He boasts in the cross of Christ. Why? I mean, after all, in the first century, the cross was, a, was an instrument of torture. It was, it was a horrible symbol of death. Romans crucified their enemies as a fear tactic to prevent future uprisings. Crucifixion was done to slaves, foreigners, revolutionaries, vile criminals, and enemies of war. The cross was considered the most shameful and disgraceful way to die in the first century. The only time a Roman citizen would ever be crucified was if he was guilty of high treason. Death by crucifixion was not something one would boast in, and yet Paul says... But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why not boast in the empty tomb, the victory that Jesus has had over his sin and death? Why does Paul boast in the cross of Christ? When we look at the cross of Christ, what do we see today? I'll tell you what Paul saw. When Paul looked at the cross of Christ... The Apostle Paul saw God's unconditional, sacrificial love for all of us here today. As Paul writes to the house churches in, Rome, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. As Jesus explains in John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone da- lay down his life for his friends. The cross is the greatest demonstration the world has ever known of God's great love for us. Yes, when the Apostle Paul looks at the cross of Christ, he sees the unconditional, sacrificial, amazing love of God. As we look at the cross of Christ, we can see that God loves us because he loves us. There's nothing we have done or can do to deserve God's amazing love for us. At the cross of Christ, we see that God loves us with an unconditional, sacrificial love. And there's nothing we can do to make God love us anymore. He's already demonstrated the full extent of his love for us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why Paul boasts in the cross of Christ. Because the cross of Christ is the great symbol of God's amazing, unconditional, sacrificial love for all of us. The cross of Christ lets us know that we are loved in spite of our sin. The cross of Christ reminds us that even though we may face trials and tribulations, our God is with us and for us in the cross of Christ. God will always love us, regardless of what we've done in the past, regardless of what we may do in the future. The cross of Christ reminds us that we are saved not by what we have to do, but by what Jesus has already done for us. Yes, as the Apostle John writes in his first letter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 10. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Or as the New Revised Standard Version translates this same verse, and this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. The cross of Christ comforts us to let us know that our sins have been atoned for by the perfect sacrifice of Christ. 
As Jesus said on the cross with his final breaths in the Gospel of John, it is finished. There's nothing more we need to add to the cross of Christ. Christ's sacrifice was perfect and complete on our behalf. That's why Paul boasts in the cross of Christ. He boasts in the cross of Christ because it's at the cross of Christ that we realize the depth of God's great love for us. Now, the empty tomb is a very important symbol of our faith. The empty tomb is is very important because it, it points to the fact that Jesus has conquered sin and death on our behalf. But it's at the cross of Christ that we see how much God really loves each one of us. Yes, Paul boasts in the cross of Christ because it's at the cross of Christ that we see how much God loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, as you read in John 3.16. The cross of Christ reminds us that it was God's love for us that motivated him to send his son to this earth to pay the price for our sins with his death on a cross. As Paul had explained earlier in Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Jesus, who is without sin, became sin for us by, by dying, by hanging on a cross and becoming a curse for us so that we might ultimately be saved. Paul boasts in the cross of Christ because it points to the love of God and it points to our ultimate salvation. As Paul explains at the very first of our letter in Galatians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. When we look at the cross of Christ, we are reminded of God's amazing, unconditional, sacrificial love, a love that delivers us from the sinful brokenness of this fallen world. When we receive this love by faith in Jesus, we're made new. That's why Paul writes in verse 15 of our text this morning, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. A new creation. Have we allowed the love of God to transform our hearts and minds in such a way that we have become a a new creation? That we are now led by the Spirit? And led by the Spirit, we seek to fulfill the the law of love, of loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and, and loving our neighbor as ourselves by doing to them as we would have done to us? Are we living into the new creation that Christ has made us through His amazing love? Because God loves us. We just need to look at the cross of Christ to see how much God loves us, to see the depth of God's amazing love for each one of us. Are we living in that light of that love today? Or are we still striving to win approval of God and man? See, once we fully grasp the meaning of the cross of Christ and the great love that God has for each one of us, then what other people think of us really doesn't matter, does it? It didn't matter to Paul. That's why Paul writes in verse 14 of our text, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 
In the cross of Christ, we can see just how much God loves us, and that now shapes our identity. We are shaped by the fact that we are loved children of the Most High God, and nothing can separate us from God's amazing love. And if God loves us, then what does it matter what other th- people think of us? That's why Paul says, the world has been crucified to me. What the world thinks of Paul and how the world measures Paul really doesn't matter to Paul anymore. And it really shouldn't matter to us either. I remember when I was a freshman in college, several of my classmates invited me to join them uh, for a a week at uh, uh, South Padre Island for a time of blowing off some steam. Uh, My parents, however, uh, told me that uh, they were going to finance the uh, mission trip that the church was taking to Mexico and not the spring break trip to South Padre Island. So based on my financial uh, realities as an economics major, I weighed the opportunity cost and said, you know, I think I'd rather go on the church's mission trip since I can afford that and I can't afford the other. So we went to Monterey, Mexico. We spent a week uh, helping kids uh, through a vacation Bible school uh, program with them and uh, played with little kids uh, with this little nursery. And we also helped paint many of the rooms of this church. Uh, however, as a part of a, the end of the trip, it was kind of the carrot that our college director wanted to uh, offer to students to come on the trip. We prom- he promised us that on the way back, uh, from Monterey, Mexico, we'd get to swing by South Padre Island. So we went to Padre Island for one day at the beach. And when we got there, actually, I ran into some of my friends from Trinity University that had invited me to join them. And we kind of talked about our weeks, and I shared with them what I had been doing. And, and they shared with me what they'd been doing. And, and they kind of wondered why I would want to spend a whole week with kids, hanging out with them, spending time with them, when I could have been with them having all kinds of fun. You know, in light of the cross of Christ, I couldn't understand why. Anyone would want to waste a week getting drunk on a beach. Well, you could spend that time helping change the life of a child by sharing the love of Christ with them. My friends didn't understand why I went to Monterey, and I couldn't understand why they'd spent a whole week in South Padre Island. When we focus on the cross of Christ, our priorities begin to change, don't they? We begin to realize the depth of, depth of God's love for us, and we can't help but share that love with others. As Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In gratitude for God's great love for us, led by the Spirit, we are called to love our neighbor with the same unconditional, sacrificial love that we have first received from God. In light of the cross of Christ, we now become a conduit of God's love to other people. As Paul exhorts us in verse 10 of our text this morning, As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those of the household of faith. As we keep our hearts and minds focused on the cross of Christ, we are filled with God's amazing love. We are reminded of God's amazing love for us, and we can't help but allow that love to flow through us to other people. But sometimes... Sometimes it's hard to love our neighbor, isn't it? I mean, sometimes our neighbors can be mean to us. Sometimes they can be, say harsh things to us or ignore us, and we can feel rejected by them. They can hurt us. How are we supposed to love someone who has hurt us? Just look at the cross of Christ. In those moments when it's hard to love our neighbor, we just need to focus our hearts and minds on the cross of Christ. As we look at the cross of Christ, we remember that in God's great love for us, Jesus was rejected by men, flogged, beaten, and crucified so that we could all be saved. 
If God is able to love us in spite of our sins so much, shouldn't we be able to love our neighbor with the same unconditional, sacrificial love that we have received from God through the cross of Christ? As we head into this holy week, like Jesus, may we be focused on the cross so that we might remember God's great love for us and we might be able to share that love with others. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, on this Palm Sunday, we are reminded that Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem amidst great fanfare, but we also know that he came with a very clear focus, and that was to die. And his heart and his mind was focused on the cross, knowing that it was on a cross that our sins were going to be atoned for knowing that it was on the cross that he was going to demonstrate his great, unconditional, sacrificial love for each one of us. And so during this Holy Week, O Lord, may we, like Jesus, have our hearts and minds focused on the cross of Christ so that we might be reminded of your great love for us, so that we might be filled with your amazing, unconditional love for us, and so that we might become a conduit of your love to others. O God, by your Spirit, lead us so that we might bear fruit that lasts, the fruit of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Oh, Lord, by your Spirit, help us to love our neighbor as ourselves as we remember the amazing, unconditional love that you showed for us at the cross of Christ. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, amen.